Welcome to The Table, a place where stories are told, life is shared, and our hope is that you'll leave full. We encourage you to sit back, pull up a chair, and enjoy the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Table Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Phillips. Today, sitting around the table with us, we have lead pastor here at Calvary, Daniel Berry. Welcome. Well, hello, Drew. How are you? I'm doing pretty well today, doing pretty well. Um, as we get going, one of the things that we like to do is just to have our guests tell a little bit about themselves. So why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and a little bit of your background. Yeah, I have been the lead pastor here at Calvary for almost six years now. Um, before that time, my wife and I lived in Kentucky, and we've lived in Alabama and in Georgia. We met uh, working at a camp together, and it's been wonderful. Um, been We have two boys, an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old boy. And I've really uh, enjoyed seeing how God has moved in our family life and God has moved in our life, and it's been um, just a real blessing to be serving here at Calvary for the last six years. Out of all those places that you lived, which one did you enjoy the most as far as where you lived? As far as where we lived? See, that's a trick question. You're going to get me in trouble with people listening. <laughs> um, Auburn, other than the weather, mm. was a beautiful, beautiful town, um, but it was very, very hot. Yeah. But you're originally from? Dallas, Texas. So you're used to the heat a little bit. I am, I, but I've lived here long enough now I'm not. When I go visit <laughs> my family who still lives in Texas, hi, Mom and Dad, I, I find that it is an oppressive dry heat. It's a dry heat, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, it's just an oppressive heat. Mm-hmm. Was it always on your uh, plan? Was it on your radar to be a lead pastor? Was that something that you were always hoping to do? What did you do before this? Right. I I went to seminary to be a pastor. I don't know I would have ever used the word lead. That didn't exist in the culture back then, mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, but... I went to seminary with the intention of being a pastor, but I remember graduating from seminary at the time and looking at my wife and saying, I don't know that I'm supposed to be a lead pastor yet. My wife looked at me and she said, I know. And I was like, <laughs> do you know what I'm supposed to be doing? She goes, yes. I go, are you going to tell me? And she was like, well, you can't tell a man anything until he's ready to listen. So I was like, okay, I'm ready to listen. What, Smart woman. All right. What am I supposed to do? And she was like, I think you're supposed to be a college pastor. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I, it just made sense. So I ended up being a college pastor for 13 years. Okay. And, and honestly, that uh, leads to a lot of the development of our topic for today. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So in your 13 years of college ministry, what was probably one of the more formational things for you, um, things that helped you develop and be uh, the pastor that you are today, the man you are today? What was some of that formation that happened there? I think just the students themselves. Okay. Um, that, that may not seem like an overly spiritual answer, but it actually is. Uh, when you do community with people, mm-hmm. and college students have this uh, wonderful ability, they're all in, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I'm going to tell you what I think, and I need you to adjust me, but I'm not sure I want to be adjusted. And so this just this brutal honesty of where they were with their faith mm-hmm. that really made me wrestle with my own faith, my own theology, my own understanding of who God is and how he relates to us as a a human being, Hmm. as a culture that really helped formulate a lot of my faith. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So you talked about that leads us into our conversation today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about theology, and our hope here is that it's more uh, conversational and relational more than academic, Um, but it's important conversation to have. And so 
Um, I love this idea. We talk about it in Discovering Calvary, which is our new members class. People who are coming to check out um, what Calvary is all about, the who, what, when, where, and why um, of Calvary. And, and we talk about a theological house and, and developing your own personal um, theology. And so um, I would love to have you explain that a little bit. Uh, when I first went through the class myself, it was something that really helped me start to shape um, how theology is formed and how it's applied in our life. And so I asked you to write it down so that we could put it in the book, because I believe the first time you just did it off the top of your head. Um, so before we get into that, could you talk to us a little bit about uh, your personal theology, how that uh, came to be and develop over over time? Sure. My personal theology, I've, I've found, developed like most of our theology develops. For those who have grown up in the church and have parents who have tried to invest in them, or maybe you didn't have parents, but you had people in the church trying to invest in you. Mm-hmm. As a little child, you're taught what to believe. Mm. But somewhere along the line, that what to believe has to translate into the how mm-hmm. and the why. And one of the things I observed um, in college ministry, and I honestly wrestled myself in college as I was wrestling with, do I believe this or do I believe this because my parents have taught me to believe this, mm-hmm. is... A lot of college students and a lot of that age, let's say you don't even go to college, the, the first time you move away from mom and dad, yeah. you have the choice of whether or not to go to church. Mm-hmm. You have the choice to look for what, what are you looking for in a church. And a lot of times we don't know how to do that mm-hmm. because we've only been taught what to believe. And so we wrestle with that. We wrestle with that idea. And so the understanding of what theology really looks like is it has to be about our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Because any theological conversation that doesn't lead someone closer to God, or at least have the potential of leading someone closer to God, isn't really about theology. And what I've observed through the years in doing college ministry is a lot of times people don't aren't really interested in drawing closer to God. Hmm. They want to espouse and and um, articulate what they believe, mm-hmm. and it's not really about God. Hmm. It's about being right. Yeah. So in those conversations that you had with those college students, or if you have them now, how do you, if you're having a theological conversation or debate with someone, how do you steer that conversation towards, are we actually talking about drawing closer to God here, or are we just talking about doctrine and what makes us feel comfortable, safe, those type of things? How, how have you learned to navigate that conversation? The honest truth is sometimes you can't. Sometimes people just want to be heard. Yeah. And if they just want to be heard, I just usually listen to them, <laughs> nod my head, and, and, and then I might follow up later with them. Okay. Um, but sometimes people are just like, I'm right, and they aren't really interested in a conversation. Mm. That's not going to theologically help anyone if you just get into an argument. Yeah. But when someone is open and receptive to drawing closer to God, and you can help articulate the idea of, why are we having this conversation? Mm. The conversation is supposed to be, you and I, when we get together, the church, when two or more gather together, are supposed to be iron sharpening iron. Yeah. We're supposed to help each other understand who God is uh, in a better light so that we can be drawn closer into his presence. Yeah. That's the element of worship. That's the element of what life is about. And what I've learned through the years and why we started developing this and why I started teaching this in college ministry, and I've taught this literally all over the country, um, through college ministry retreats and things like that, mm-hmm. is we don't have a formula or a template, if you will, to 
be able to articulate what we, we believe um, because we don't know why we believe it. Hmm. And, and to be able to, to have a house that says, this is my personal theology, and that seems almost like heresy, but it's not. Because personal theology is the theology that you have that leads you to God. Mm-hmm. It's not saying that other people's theology is right or wrong, although sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. Really what you're doing is you're saying, I know I can live here, mm. which is why the house um, illustration came about. Yeah. I live with the presence of God with this belief and this understanding. Yeah, And I, I imagine with that, it also disarms you as the person in that conversation, that if you're comfortable with where you live and you are grounded in that, then you don't have to get so defensive and defend your side. Right. You know, a lot of times that comes through, a lot of times the conversation turns into an argument when it comes around theology because people start to defend. And and I would say a lot of that comes is you're not really comfortable where you live, to use the house illustration. And so you're trying to convince the other person that, that your design for your house is better and theirs is wrong. And and it doesn't allow you to, to listen as well. Yeah, and one thing I observed in my own life is when someone articulated when I was 18 a different belief, all of my theology, all of my beliefs and my understandings of God were like a giant ball of clay hmm. rolling down a mountain. Hmm. And if someone chinked a little hole in that ball, the whole thing crumbled. Yeah. So we had to develop um, an idea or an understanding that not all theology is of the same level of importance. Hmm. When you're building a house, there's different ways to build a house, but it always starts with the same basic understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into that, one thing that we talk about a little bit is what are some essential beliefs and some non-essential beliefs? And and these are kind of somewhat churchy words. So would you kind of break those down so we have an understanding of what those are, and then we'll actually start getting into more of the house uh, metaphor or analogy? Sure. Essential beliefs and non-essential beliefs are two broad categories that we have that have traditionally been taught in seminary. Essential beliefs are basically the beliefs that you have to believe in order to call yourself a Christian. Um, The difficulty with that is one person's definition of essential beliefs is narrow and one person is broad. So um, take a hot, pick a hot topic. Um, There are some people I've heard that if you drink alcohol, you're not a Christian. Well, that's not what we teach here. Yeah. Obviously, it's not what we teach here. We have a wide variety of views of that, even in our church. Yeah. And so you got to broaden that scope out, mm-hmm. and you got to say, okay, not everything that some people call is essential. Mm-hmm. So that leads us to non-essential. And so non-essential beliefs are beliefs that you and I may disagree with, yeah. but we can still call each other brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in Christ. Yeah. And so the problem is... Our doctrines don't usually easily fit into just two categories, mm. and that's part of the reason this developed. Yeah, great. Well, I appreciate that, and I think that'll flesh itself out a little bit more as we continue. So I'm going to just kind of turn the reins over to you a little bit and allow you to start to describe this theological house and and um, and where the where it starts and then through completion. Right. And I, it's funny now that I live in West Lafayette because West Lafayette is a town full of engineers. <laughs> and so when I start describing the way you build a house, I, I have a lot of people who tell me there's many more steps to this. And there's the architectural phase and there's a, okay, but when, when we were first developing this, yeah. when my students and I and my wife and I were in the, 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 even the back to the seminary professor who kind of 
spurned this idea with me when talking about theological house. He mm-hmm. didn't have the levels like this. It wasn't really supposed to be like engineering mind. So I just want to give that one qualifier. Appreciate that. Yeah, sure. So I came up with four basic levels of the house. Um, The first level is foundation. And the foundation is what you have to build in. The reason that I think this is so important is what I've observed through the years is so many of the students who came through the college ministry through the years Mm -hmm. knew what and the why of of sin, Mm -hmm. but didn't understand the basics. And so foundations where you have to start. Uh, if you don't have a good foundation, you don't have a house. If you put a roof on without having a foundation and walls, mm-hmm. you have no house. Yeah. Um, so foundation beliefs, as defined by the way we articulate them here, mm-hmm. are what we really qualify as the essential beliefs. Okay. Necessary to get to heaven. And so if you have five minutes and you know that someone's about to pass away, or that Jesus is coming back, or if you have five minutes to say, this is what it takes to understand in order to be a Christian, mm-hmm. to see God in heaven, what are those beliefs? Mm-hmm. And the real basic beliefs of those are the fact that we were made with dignity, mm-hmm. that depravity came in, or sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we needed the restoration of Jesus, and that we needed reconciliation. And those are churchy words, and we mm-hmm. can break those down further if you want. But it's the idea we're broken, we need it fixed. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a young college student, let's say, and um, I'm... Those were the days. Those were the days, man, many moons ago. A little more hair. A little more hair, a little more hair. Um, and so thinking back to that time, if I'm that person and I'm coming to you, how do I start to lay that foundation? Right. I always say, if you summarize the Bible... In two sentences. Could you do it? Could you take the Bible and summarize it in two sentences? And most people have never heard of the Bible articulated like that. Hmm. And it blows them away. I remember uh, Dr. Avonshine back at Howard Payne when I was there gave us that assignment. And I was like, that's impossible. My, my sentences are going to be three pages. It's going to be the longest <laughs> run on ever. But I so appreciated that because it, it got you to see not every... Not every verse in the Bible was of same importance. I believe uh, uh, Andy Stanley's uh, Joiner, I okay. f- forget his first name, Reggie Reggie Joiner, yeah, uh, made that our, uh, that point in one of his books hmm. that not every doctrine is of equal importance. And I was like, yes, that was that's the words the words I needed right huh. there, because there's a reason we know John three sixteen. But oh. if I picked a random verse, and I've historically picked horrible verses, so I'm not going to do that right <laughs> now. But um, you pick a random verse in the Bible, people don't know it. Yeah. And so I challenge people to, to be able to say, summarize the Bible in two sentences, and those are your foundational issues. So can I put you on the spot and say, can you summarize the Bible for us in two sentences, please? I can, but I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. I don't want to do it verbatim because okay. I don't want them to... In order to be personal theology, you have to be able to do it yourself. Okay. But what I would say is, you to articulate it, it has to include those four understandings okay. of... You were made with dignity, Genesis 1, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Depravity entered, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, that God came for reconciliation, John three sixteen, and that God wants to restore you into a life of hope, and that salvation isn't just something that comes in the next life, but it starts here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. So I've got, a, I've got a good foundation now. I've kind of understood that. I've been able to um, summarize the Bible in two sentences, really work through that, um, understand my need for Jesus, 
have this foundation. What's next? The next thing after you do that, so after, let's say you're a new convert mm-hmm. or a new follower of Jesus, as we like to say yeah. around here, and you're saying, I'm all in. Um, what you have to do is you have to begin to grow. So your theology has to begin to grow. So what are the doctrines? What are the things that I need necessary to grow? We call this the structure. Okay. Or think of the framing of the house. You know, there's some house, new houses going up around our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And you drive by one day, you see the foundation. It doesn't look like anything's happened. But when the structure goes up, you go, I see a change. Mm. And so a lot of times people come to Christ and people don't immediately see the difference. But as the structure grows up, people start going, what's, what's changing in you? Yeah. What's, what's new about you? So whether you've been a Christian for two days or 30 years, yeah. as your structure begins to grow, that's when the change starts happening. Hmm. So I always challenge people, what are, what are the essentials of you growing in your faith? Okay. So those things, doctrines like the necessary component of reading your Bible, hmm. the idea of why do we need the church? I, you, we see this all the time, right? You're, yep. you're the next steps pastor at this church. People yep. go, why do I need to be at church? Yep. Uh, you need the church because you need community. Mm-hmm. You need people to help you grow in those things. So there's a whole lot of doctrines there okay. um, from the virgin birth. Um, you know, people, some, I had a professor one time who said to me, the virgin birth is essential. The virgin birth is essential in our understanding of who God is. Mm. And, and the fact that the virgin birth didn't happen, we're probably not really... Jesus isn't who he said he was. Yeah. I get that. But when Jesus led the thief on the cross to a salvation experience, he yeah. didn't go, hey, by the way, did you believe <laughs> I was born of a virgin? Yeah. And so I think those are structural issues that help you understand who God is, yeah. which draws you into his presence, which helps you grow closer to him. And you got to have those basic doctrines in order to grow. Okay. So is there anything to how the structure is put together um, as far as who helps build the structure? Is that something you, you've talked about the importance of church and doing that in community? So could you tease out for us a little bit what that may look like doing and growing in community alongside of it being your own personal sure. theology. And there's three ways we grow our faith. Um, one is through direct revelation, which is the scripture. Mm-hmm. One is through a community of people helping us to do it. And one is through experience. Okay. That's how our faith grows. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a new Christian, you don't have much experience. Mm-hmm. So I always drive them first to the Bible. And when in doubt, go to the Bible, but having other people help you through it. And so the best way to do it, I know, is to start really opening the Word of God and understanding it, and then writing down questions mm-hmm. and taking them to someone who's a stage ahead of you and saying, okay. how do you, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and a basic way to do that, too, is I always tell people as they're starting, usually I tell them to start with Mark. Okay. Sometimes I tell them to start with John. If it's a really emotional person, I have them start yeah. with, we've been through this before, but if you're a really emotional person, I have them start with John. If you really want just like a factual person, I want them to start with Mark. But then basics, right? English 101, get a Bible that has paragraph forms. Hmm. And if you're hung up on developing and taking a stance on a verse in the middle of a long paragraph, what does that tell you, Drew? You're trying to prove something. Right. Because usually the topic sentence of a paragraph is found... At the beginning. At the beginning. And so we want to have as our basic faith components Mm -hmm. the main ideas and not get hung on the things that are there to support yep. the main ideas. Yep. So the fact that we are there for dignity is essential. Yep. So when God says, do not, 
you find that the do nots are usually there because they don't want us to be robbed from dignity. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I appreciate just the explanation there a little bit. So, so we're, we're building our house. We've got the foundation. We've put our structures up now. What's, what's the next step in that process as we start to grow and mature? Sure. The next level are the protective issues. Um, the protective issues is when you put the roof up. Um, and I call these two things. It's the list of sins while sin is foundational. Mm-hmm. The list of sins, um, the denominational differences. And I'm going to say this with fear and trepidation. It's the gray areas. Okay. Sometimes they're not gray. But it's when God says don't do, it's the things we can argue over. And a lot of times it's why church splits happen. Mm-hmm. It's why people walk away. It's why people don't like the church because we get hung up on these issues. They are important, but why are they important? Mm-hmm. They're important because they lead us to Christ. Okay. And so what we a lot of times do is we get hung up trying to look for the pure doctrine. There is a pure doctrine, but God is in heaven and we're here on earth. Mm-hmm. And the point of the doctrine isn't to be pure, it's to be drawn into the presence of Christ who will make us pure. Okay. And I think that's a that sounds similar but I think it's a very big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're going through these doctrines, I always tell people, there's a, if a, on a rainy day, mm-hmm. it's raining, do I want to be in a house with brick or siding? It doesn't matter. Yeah. If an F5-4 t- tornado hits my house, do I want to be in a house with brick or siding? It doesn't matter. You're going to both die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if an F2 tornado comes, I want to be in a house with brick. So mm-hmm. they do matter. But the point of it is to protect you. Okay. So when you're going through the denominational differences mm-hmm. and why people view healing, let's pick that, or how people view speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. or even things like alcohol, or um, pick a topic, the issue isn't who's right and who's wrong. The issue is, is this what God asks us to do to draw closer to him? So we're going to trust him and be faithful in obedience, allowing that to protect us mm-hmm. and our relationship as we're drawn into him. And you, so what I'm hearing from you too, is there's, there's an area here where two different people could be in different spots, or is there um, a, a narrow road that we need to, to be on for that? I think the reality is we're all going to stand before God. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us that. Yeah. And you're going to be accountable for your actions. Mm-hmm. So you have to be comfortable in the house you're in. Okay. And a lot of times what I find is people go, tell me what to believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I should believe on this topic. Mm-hmm. And I would go, I can give you my theological opinion. And I say that all yep. the time, right? Yep. I say there's... A theological opinion is, I think this is right, but I could be wrong, and I know I'm going to stand before God, and so I don't want to tell you that I'm... Mm -hmm. Or another way to look at it is, 50% of the people I know who love God and have evidence of loving God and have fruit and are loving and kind and all these things believe this, and 50% believe the opposite, I better be careful. Mm -hmm. Because for me to say this is absolute theological fact, I'm going to be held accountable to that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So we've got our, our siding, our brick up, however, however we want to And be. those are important. Mm-hmm. I just want to reiterate that. It is important, but I just don't think they're hills to die on. Yeah, that, I appreciate that clarification. Um, so then what's the, what's the fourth and final stage um, in our um, non-engineer level house that we, need to, <laughs> uh, that we need to be looking for? 
Yeah, very good. The fourth level is called aesthetics. And I'm glad we're doing this um, verbally because when I write it on a whiteboard, I can never spell it. <laughs> um, but the idea of aesthetics is how what makes your home feel like a home. It's what makes you comfortable. Yeah. And how is that theology? Because the point of theology is to draw you into the presence of God, yeah. to find Him. And, mm-hmm. and so when you come into my house... Um, Drew, you've been to my house, mm-hmm. and it, as you sit on the couch, it's exactly where my wife wants it. Yep. <laughs> um, but if you were to come into my house and say, I think that couch should be over there, you wouldn't be wrong. It's just your opinion. Yep. So there are certain theology doctrines that we have that we that are important, but they're designed. So things like preference of worship style, hmm. the way we dress for church, yeah. the version of the Bible we use are all important. Uh, way that we do first impressions. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, a very dear and, and near thing to what you do. Yeah. They're important, but they're important for the purpose of helping us draw closer to the presence of God. Now, here's the key. Most people, and this is where the church gets messed up time and time again, set up their home for themselves. Yep. What makes me feel comfortable. Yep. And I think as a follower of Jesus... The church's responsibility is to always set up our home for guests. Mm. What makes them feel closer to God? Mm. And when we have that mindset, it's not just my house, but I want to bring guests into my house to experience God so that they can go back to their house mm-hmm. and incorporate some of those ideas. That's when we win. Mm. So, so practically then, what, is, what does that look like? Oh, I think it's very important that... Um, I always joke about the way we do songs. I, I joke with Chris the other day, you know, like I, I can tell you my preference, but my preference is usually wrong <laughs> because my preference for songs is never the preference of what everybody else would have. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. And so that's why we have Chris who does a great job on our staff. I'm going to mm-hmm. ignore the fact that he's sitting in the room right now <laughs> and, and he does a really good job, but his job is to try to help us as a church have lyrics mm-hmm and music that leads people into the presence of God that sets up the Word of God being taught and spoken. Hmm. And and that's an impossible task because people have different types yeah. of preferences. Yeah. But he has to keep his pulse on what outsiders need to hear so that we can draw into, they can draw into a comfortable setting that hears God. Yeah. And I think the this is probably out of the four my favorite to spend the most time on. Um, when I'm teaching the Discovering Calvary class, because this is the one that kind of opens people's eyes to some blind spots that they've had. Like you said, most people set up their house to make what makes them comfortable. And they ignore the dust in the corner. Exactly. And they don't realize, oh, I'm doing this because this is what makes me comfortable. And that's okay. And for them to hear, hey, if this is, if how you dress on Sunday morning is how you feel you connect with God most or what you feel like God's calling you to do, that's great. But when you see someone else who maybe doesn't feel led to dress in a certain way, that's okay. And I think it allows us to take a honest look at what are some things that are really important to us um, and, and could be part of our formation process of how we came to be, who we are, how we have matured. But that doesn't mean that it has to be the same for everyone. And I think this line, this this particular part of the theological house is the one that people really haven't thought about all that much. But as soon as you say it, you can just see the light bulbs go off on top of their heads like, oh. So for us here at Calvary, how have you seen this 
idea played out as the church has continued to grow and as we've moved forward over the last five or six years that you've been here? Sure. Uh, One of the big things that we try to do is on Sunday mornings, we try to spend the bulk of our sermons, you know you're in the Mm -hmm. room, um, handling foundational and structural issues. And sometimes people are like, why are we doing found it? When are we going to get to the, the good list of the thou shalt nots? Mm-hmm. And they come out, yep. but that's not the predominant theme of what we're about. And the main reason why is we don't want to have people who are coming in to hear Jesus for the first time, you can't put a roof on without a foundation. Yep. And so our small groups is where those issues come out. Mm-hmm. And, and and as you see people get the light, the light bulb goes off. That's we, We've seen 150, 200 people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been amazing and all those things, or at least following baptism. Mm-hmm. And as they do that, um, they're going to grow in their faith. Now, here's the key thing, and I think you said it uh, well. When people understand the idea of aesthetics, it means that they've developed their own theology. Mm. Because you're never going to be able to set up your home for other people without first understanding the love that Christ has given us. Yeah. And that comes through the foundation and structure. As you draw closer into his presence, you want to give yourself away. Mm. And so sometimes we get frustrated because we want to go to our people, hey, you need to understand this aesthetic level. You need to understand that we're setting up for, and they're going, I don't want to. Well, that tells me we're not gonna, we don't need to actually talk about aesthetics. We need to talk about structure. Yeah. You, need to, you need to understand how you're going to grow. You need to grow in your faith. Yeah. Because when your personal theology, and that's really what this is about, mm-hmm. has grown to a place where you're willing to set up for guests, mm-hmm. it means that you've understood the basics and you've at least grappled, whether you can write it down or not, you've at least grappled with the foundation and structural issues. Yeah, no, that's really good. Well, thank you. I appreciate you just unpacking that for us. It helps me, again, just to hear you articulate it, helps me kind of recognize those areas in my house that I need to spend a little bit more time on and where I need to continue to grow a little bit. Um, So thank you for unpacking that for us. One thing that we always do as we wrap up our conversations is um, we talk about what is something as we're sitting around the table here that you want our listeners to be able to wrap up with them um, and take home. Yeah, and give a question, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things I would encourage the listeners at home to do is to really sit down and go, can I articulate a summary of the Bible. Hmm. Take that. It's a, it may seem like a silly exercise, but but take the time because it's not silly, and write down a summary of the Bible in two sentences, mm-hmm. and see if you can make it in two sentences. Yeah, and then after that, here's the real for the advanced class. <laughs> start doing that for every book in the Bible. Hmm. Start with the New Testament. Yeah, because when you start understanding oh the the different books and why they're there, then you begin to really grow in your faith, and you'll see the broader themes. Yeah. And broader themes will help you grow way more than the one-verse themes throughout the Bible. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Daniel, for joining us around the table today. To our listeners, uh, we look forward to the next conversation. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to The Table, a podcast of Calvary Church in West Lafayette. Music was provided by Heath Bentley. For more information, check us out at calvarybc.net. Have a great day.